And uh, hopefully you received some message notes when you came in. You're going to want to grab those. I uh, hope you have a Bible nearby. Uh, find that on your phone or in, uh, in the chair in front of you if you don't have one of those. And we just want to welcome all of you this morning, whether you're watching online, whether you're uh, worshiping with us over in the gym or right here in the worship center. It is great to be together. Hey, if I don't know you, my name is Glenn Barnes. I'm the lead pastor here. And I just love a chance to be together here with you today. So we are continuing today in a series that we began uh, at the beginning of the year called Made for This. So just so you know, we're going to actually wrap this topic up next Sunday. We have today and next Sunday. And then after that, we're going to begin a study in, I think, the really um, powerful and, and very timely book of First Peter. So we're going to study First Peter together as a church, and that's going to take us all the way um, to Easter, if you can believe that. But today we want to focus on this idea of made for this, and this theme about being made for this really goes back to the idea that we've been saying all along, that each and every one of us is made by our Creator. We are made by God, and we're not just made for randomness. We are made by God, and we are made for God. In fact, we said that, that really the, the thing that we're made to do is to glorify God. Everything that God created is meant to give Him praise, and so we're meant to glorify God. Um, and one of the best ways that we can glorify God is to live our life on mission. We're not just drifting through this world, but we are living our life on mission to love and serve God by loving and serving other people. And so today, I actually want to talk about one of the most foundational, uh, basic, one of the most simple parts of living your life on mission. And yet it is something that Christians uh, so often neglect to do especially in its most simple form. And what I want to talk about today is Jesus's command to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. We are made to love our neighbor. And yet, would you not agree that this idea of loving your neighbor really has become kind of a lost art in our world these days? Uh, In fact, there was a sociologist um, by the name of Faith Popcorn, great name, Faith Popcorn, and she wrote a number of books and articles um, a little over 20 years ago, and she coined this this phrase to describe what's going on in American culture, and this phrase was, cocooning. She said cocooning. Um, It kind of describes this idea. There's a little picture that helps you see what that is about. But the idea behind cocooning, it's the idea that especially in kind of our fast-paced modern world, uh, that people are just less prone to physically interact with other actual people. Because the idea is, why do you need to talk to your neighbor if you can just send them a quick message? Or why do you need to go to dinner with friends or to the neighborhood market where you're going to see people or you just use a a simple app to have those things delivered right to your house? Why would you go to a concert? Why would you go to a movie? Why would you go to church when you can just kind of stream those things into the safety and the comfort of your own living room and your own couch? And, And so this has been going on for years. This idea of cocooning has been going on for years. But in these last few years, the pandemic has just exasperated this whole thing. When we were encouraged and then at times mandated to stay inside and stay away from other people, people just did that. Even though that goes so against what God created us to do. We are are made, we are designed by our creator to be with and to love other people. So nowadays, the problem is you can drive through a neighborhood and you never necessarily see kids outside playing. 
or you don't see neighbors out front just talking or working together or things like that. In fact, it's been said that we don't necessarily even live with our, our neighbors. We live around strangers. It's not neighborhoods, it's, it's strangerhoods. And I saw just a disturbing statistic that said less than half of Americans even know their neighbors and a significantly uh, higher number than that do not trust their neighbor. And you wonder why we have so much struggle and negativity in our world when we don't do the most basic thing that Jesus said to do. We don't know and, and, uh, and trust our neighbors. And that's not what God created us to do. God has designed you and God has designed me for relationships. And I'm even speaking to the introverts here this morning. I know this is not your favorite topic, but you are designed by God that way as well. In fact, there's a, a fascinating a little study that was made famous by a guy by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. Maybe you follow uh, Malcolm Gladwell. And he uh, talks about this little town of Rosetto, Pennsylvania. Rosetto, Pennsylvania was made kind of famous when there was this research that, that found Rosetto to be one of the healthiest places in all of America um, to live, uh, especially they had very low heart disease. And so they started to investigate this and they found out not only was the heart disease real low, but uh, people lived longer. They lived happier lives uh, in this little town. There was virtually no crime, no alcoholism, no drug abuse, uh, very little or no suicide. And so of course, experts wanted to know what is the secret to this little town? right? Is it something in the genetics of these people? Is it something in their environment? Is it something in their diet? And they did all these studies and they found out that it's none of those things. What they found out is it had to do with their lifestyle. And this is what Gladwell writes about it. He says, this is what takes place in this little town of Rosetto. He says, they visited each other. They stopped to chat in Italian on the streets. They cooked for each other. They ate together. Extended families were the town's social structure. Many homes had three generations living under the same roof. He even includes, researchers saw the unifying and calming effect of the church. I love that. That's the effect that the church should have on its, on its community. In other words, he says, loving their neighbors was not only good for them, but it was good for their communities. Almost like Jesus knew what he was talking about. Or almost like we are made for that. We are designed by that. But I'm not asking you to take Faith Popcorn's word this morning. I'm not basing my uh, thoughts on the, the words of Malcolm Gladwell. What I want us to do is I want us to open up our Bibles together. So would you open your Bible to Matthew 22? Matthew 22. Uh, and I want us to see just some hugely important words of Jesus. Let me just warn you, I know the problem with, with talking about a passage like what we're going to read here in Matthew 22 is a lot of us will know these words so well, they will be so familiar to you that maybe it's been years since you've actually really thought deeply about them or, or meditated on these words. And so that's what I want to do um, for our next few minutes together. Um, and so we're going to begin in Matthew 22, beginning in verse 34, where Jesus famously says this, or it says this, it says, there were some Pharisees that went out and had plans, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, wrong place. <laughs> uh, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking at this time. You're thinking, come on, pastor. Everybody knows that verse, right? We learned that verse a long time ago. Can't we move on to something deeper? Can't we, you know, find just some like hidden truths in the Bible, some new stuff and, and you know, that kind of stuff. But, but the reality is, is almost all of us want to move on to graduate school before we've really mastered the stuff that we were supposed to get in kindergarten. And so today we are going to begin with just some observations about this very familiar text, four observations about that, and then we're going to get to just some practical ways that we can live this out. And I think it's some really fun, meaningful, and really uh, world-changing, community-changing, your life-changing ways this morning. So four observations about that famous text that Jesus said, specifically the part about loving your neighbors. And the first observation is this, when we love our neighbor, it's like we are loving God. Did you notice that? So the scene is there's these religious leaders and the Sadducees had had tried to trap Jesus and and now it's the Pharisees time and, and all of these religious leaders are starting to get really frustrated with Jesus. Because they wanted a Messiah that would narrow the kingdom. They wanted a, a Messiah that would, would, would make things more exclusive by making everybody obey and keep all of the, the ceremony and the minutia of the law. And Jesus comes and he does the exact opposite. He actually throws wide the gates and, and he expands the kingdom by inviting in sinners and prostitutes and fishermen and tax collectors. And as we just talked about, these people weren't saved by their work and their following of the law, they were saved by their faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that they received from him. And so this just made the religious people mad. And so they said they were going to come up with idea, this idea to trap Jesus. And they were going to trap him with this question about the law. Because especially the Pharisees were very devoted to following not only the 600 or so commands that are specifically in the uh, Hebrew scriptures, but all of the other little things that they'd kind of created to go along with this. And everybody had their idea and their opinion about what was most important. And so they are going to trap Jesus with this question, what is the most important? And that's what they ask him. And Jesus' response is not especially surprising right at first. He quotes what's known as the Shema. It's something that the Jewish people would have said very, very regularly. It's from Deuteronomy 6. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And so because of that, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But Jesus doesn't stop with just one command. He also goes ahead and he adds a second command, a little bonus for him. He says, and the second command is this. And now he quotes from the book of Leviticus. It's Leviticus 19.18. And he says this, the second command is love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus does something fascinating with this first and the second command. He ties them together. In fact, he he ties them together so tightly that they literally cannot be separated. Because the second is like the first. In other words, if you want to love God, and I assume that you do by your presence here today, I believe the Pharisees wanted to love God. They were trying. They were trying to figure this stuff out. They wanted to, 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 to do what was told to them in the, the scriptures. They wanted to love God. But Jesus says it like this. If you really want to love God, that's the first commandment. But the second one is like it. You do one by doing the other, right? And yet the truth is sometimes it's hard for us to know how to express love to God because we can't touch him. 
And often we can't see them the way that we see other people. And so how do you express your love to someone who's given us so much but is essentially invisible to our eyes? What do you do? Well, Jesus says it like this. You do the second command. You love who you can see and who you can touch. You love your neighbor. And when you're loving your neighbor, it's like you're loving God. And especially in kind of modern church world, a lot is made of, of worship. And a lot of times when people talk about worship, what they're talking about is, is singing and, and, and music. Of course, there's so much more to, to worship than that. But a lot of times people, you know, we, we, we love to sing those songs and we love that worship because we love kind of the, the feeling that it gets. And we love to connect God with our, you know, our heart. And, you know, we love to think about him with our, our mind. But essentially what this is saying is what good is it to sing a song about God and to not go out and love your neighbor. The two cannot be separated. The, the second is like the first. And so Jesus makes that point to the Pharisees. He also does something very similar with the law. Because the second thing he, uh, I want us to observe is when we love our neighbor, it's like we are fulfilling the law and the prophets. You want to fulfill the law. You want to obey God's law. You do it with those first two commands. Now, one of the things that I love about this church, and I just look out and and see so many of you that I know this is true about, is this church has got a deep commitment to the Bible. That's always been, you know, central to who we are. Uh, We have a deep commitment to know and to study the Bible. Uh, Right now, there are several hundred adults, not to mention uh, teenagers and children that are a part of this church in one way or another that devote themselves to either weekly or very regularly meeting for some sort of Bible study. We want to study and know the truths of the Bible. And obviously that is a good thing. But Jesus kind of backs it up and he makes it very simple. He says, you can study all the deep truths that you want, but unless you're getting these two things, you're missing it. Because all of the things hang together. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. So you can know everything that there is to know about prophecy and the end times and tribulations and, and thousand year reigns and those kind of things. It doesn't matter if you can perfectly describe the difference between free will and God's sovereignty, something like that. It doesn't matter if you can quote perfectly the Ten Commandments if you are not doing these two things. Because all of it actually hangs together with the simplicity of this, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, a lot of times people will talk to me, and I do this myself, and I'm sure you do as well. You've got a decision to make, and you're kind of wondering what's the right thing to do. Do I do A? Do I do B? Do I move here? Do I move there? Do I, you know, go to this college? Do I go to that college? All those kind of things. And so you search the scripture, and you say, God, I want to know from your word what the scripture teaches me to do. A simple way to answer that question is this. What's going to help me love God and love people more. Because all of the scripture, all of the law and prophets hangs together on this. You're not going to find something in here that violates those two laws, which are foundationally to love God and love your neighbor. They fulfill the law and the prophets. So that's just a really important um, observation about what Jesus says there. Third observation about what Jesus says, and and kind of expanding it in the New Testament, is uh, when we love our neighbor, we obviously bless our neighbors. And we bless our neighborhoods. You see, when God's people start to put into practice this idea of loving their neighbor, that's, you guys, when communities and worlds and lives get 
changed. And that's what you see. So let me just read you a a couple scriptures uh, from Acts chapter 2. We see this idea of neighboring and hospitality is this huge part of the the gospel starting to to spread out eventually around the world. In Acts 2, 46 and 47, it says this. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So a key part of that growth of the church was they ate together. They were in their homes. They invited people in. They were being good neighbors and they were loving their neighbors and God used it to change the world. You actually see something kind of similar. I love this scripture um, from Jeremiah 29. I think this is one that we should, should uh, remember a lot because in Jeremiah 29, uh, God is speaking to the people that are, are exiles. So they are meant to live in the promised land, especially in Jerusalem, but that had been destroyed. Again, because of the people's sin and disobedience, the, the consequences, their, their land is destroyed and the people are carried away ultimately as slaves into Babylon. And so now they're living in this foreign power and they don't like it right? Because the Babylonians are so ungodly and, and so terrible. And yet God speaks to them and he says, part of what I have you in Babylon to do is to love your neighbor and to be a good neighbor. This is what he says. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And then catch this. He says, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to it, to the Lord, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And the point that that God is making, even to these people who are living in exile, is you're there for a reason. And so don't just ignore that. Be a part of the community. Plant yourself there. Care about the community. When that community is blessed and prospers, you will be blessed and prosper as well. So pray for and participate in the prosperity and the care of the city where I've planted you. There's this great book that's actually been a kind of a, a influential on this message. It's called The Art of Neighboring. It's a guy by the name of Dave Runyon wrote this book. And um, uh, Runyon was a pastor in the Denver area. And he just kind of got this crazy idea that they were supposed to be a blessing to their city. And so he was in the Denver area and um, a bunch of the pastors all got together and said, hey, we want to bless our, our city, partly because of what they were reading here in Jeremiah 29. And so they started having these meetings with different city officials. They met with the, fire, the police chief and the fire chief and the city manager, and they met with the mayor of Denver. And they have this meeting with the mayor of Denver, and it's all these pastors together, and they have this idea that they're going to solve some problem, right? So maybe it's homelessness, or maybe it's gangs, or child poverty, or something like that. They're going to go after one of these problems. And so they meet with the mayor, so they want to hear what he says to them. And so the mayor comes, and he's got his notebook full of all the problems, and he goes over the, the different things that, that they could do, and they're all taking notes and listening to this. And after about 30 minutes, the mayor's finished with his presentation, and he closes his binder, and then they're just chatting together. And the mayor says basically something like this. He says, you know what? If you churches really wanted to do something that would make a difference in our city, why don't you start a neighboring movement, a neighboring program? 
You see, the mayor knew some very significant research that when you talk about social problems like crime and poverty and and violence and some of those kind of things, one of the key indicators that can be traced to that is how well do the people in the community know and care about one another. And when people know and care about one another, those kind of social uh, struggles tend to go down. So the mayor just says, well, you know what you could do is, why don't you help people get to know their neighbor? And Runyon says this, he says, after the meeting, we sat together with this group of Christian leaders, guys that knew the Bible well, and they said, we were so embarrassed. Because here's this non-Christian mayor of the city who says, if you guys want to do something, why don't you take Jesus' word seriously? Why don't you do what he says is the the first and the, the greatest and the second greatest command to love your neighbor as yourself? And so that's what he challenges them to do, and that's what he calls them to do. And Jesus, when he teaches us to love our neighbor, I think he had some deep understandings of the way, obviously the way the world worked. He designed and created it. But here's what I want you to know. The fourth observation is when we love our neighbor, it actually unleashes this ancient Christian practice that literally helped move the church from this little fringe group to essentially with essentially no resources they had very little but hospitality essentially moved them to a worldwide movement this practice of hospitality the word hospitality the Greek word is is philozenia um, we hear sometimes about this philo is of course uh, uh, love xenia is is other or stranger. We hear about xenophobia, the fear of others or the fear of strangers. The the New Testament actually teaches us to love the stranger, to love the other. And so I'm not going to go over all those verses in your notes there, but, but just if you think about hospitality, this word hospitality and how significant it is for the church. For 2,000 years, it has been the secret weapon of God's people because everyone could do it. But hospitality is a very big deal in the Bible. You see that hospitality is commanded of God's people. Commanded specifically to our neighbors, but also specifically to people in need, right? We're to show hospitality to the widow, to the orphan. To the, to the foreigner, the, the stranger living among us. We see that hospitality is taught by Jesus in his parables. Oftentimes it's the person that shows hospitality that is the, the kind of the hero of the story. It's illustrated in the narratives of both the Gospels and the book of Acts. So in other words, the stories where you kind of have to pick apart who's the hero, what's God teaching us. Often it's this practice of hospitality, love for stranger, love for other. Do you know that hospitality is actually a required trait of church leaders, elders, and pastors? Not only are they supposed to be able to teach, not only are they supposed to be pure in their, their life, but they're to be hospitable. Church leaders should be hospitable in the way that they are um, towards others. Even Jesus uh, demonstrates hospitality, uh, even though he didn't have a home himself. He's often accused of being a drunkard because he spends so much time with people in their homes eating and drinking. In other words, hospitality is this really big deal. The problem, problem is, for a lot of us, we hear the word hospitality and it, it seems very, entertain, or very uh, intimidating to us because we think of this, you know, entertaining and all this stuff. And some people love it, but a lot of us are very intimidated by that. Um, and the problem is, is sometimes we kind of misunderstand what hospitality is all about. So just a little test here. When you hear the word hospitality, is there one person that you think of? What person do you think of that's kind of the model of hospitality in our world these days, especially if you're a certain age or not? Who do you think of? 
Martha Stewart, the very first one, who we think of when we think about hospitality is Martha Stewart. Here's the problem. That right there is not realistic. I don't know this for a fact, but she's got to have a dozen people on her staff helping put all that together, right? And plus, we think of hospitality as this idea of wowing and impressing people. That's not what hospitality is all about. We can make it nice for people, but hospitality is really about welcoming someone in, letting them know that they are loved, that they are cared for. That's really what uh, hospitality um, is all about, uh, that people would, would know that they're, um, that they're important. And so you can do this in your house. I actually think it's great when you have people into your home. Um, But if that's just, you know, doesn't work, you can show hospitality to someone when you meet with them over at your favorite coffee shop or in the, the park or maybe even in your front yard. In fact, I want you to take a look at this little video of someone who got this idea of biblical hospitality and put it into practice in a really creative way that maybe some of us could do something just like this. Let's take a look. I'm Kristen Schell, and I live in Austin, Texas. I am a wife and a mother of four children. Any given day, I am in the kitchen or in the minivan. I am active in the kids' school. I'm a writer, and I volunteer at church. We've been in this neighborhood um, almost 10 years. I always knew we were supposed to love our neighbors because that's the great commandment. But how you live that out day to day is hard, Um, especially when you don't know your neighbors, which is the situation I was in. I did not know my neighbors. Sure, I knew, you know, a handful of them. And so there was this huge question, what do you want me to do, Lord? Here I am, Lord. What do you want me to do? Do you want me to walk across the street and bang on doors? Do you want me to take cookies? What do you want me to do, Lord? God answers prayers in really winsome ways. I was hosting a party with a friend in our backyard, and I didn't have any tables. And so I ordered a picnic table from Lowe's. And when it arrived two days later, I knew. I knew that for the purposes of the party, I was going to have it in my backyard. But as soon as that party was over, I was moving that table in the front yard, and it was going to be a gathering place. And so I painted it turquoise, which is my favorite color, and I did. I put it outside underneath the tree in the front yard. It was awkward at first. I have this table. It's bright turquoise. It's sitting in the front yard. And now I'm like, well, now what do I do? So I took a whole bunch of stuff out with me. I took my phone and my journal and my computer. And I even um, had some art stuff that I was working on because, you know, I needed to look like I was just doing something. By going out front, I was saying to God, here I am, Lord, your will be done. Go before, behind, and beside me into the neighborhood. And that very day, life changed, and I met a neighbor within three hours of putting a table out in my front yard. A lot has happened since putting the table out there. There are a handful of women who are now very close friends who I did not know. It has become kind of a gathering place. I'm Bob. This is my daughter, Peggy. (laughs) So one of the best things is just the sense of normal community, everyday life. The neighborhood kids come over. They'll do homework when the weather's pretty. We've had lemonade stands, hot cocoa stands. More intimately, 
Um, it's a place where I can meet and have met neighbors um, who now pop by with coffee and just for 15 minutes, a, co- a conversation over coffee that wouldn't have happened. The Lord has taught me and I am learning to be present. Um, that it sounds like it should be a no-brainer, but listening is not um, a skill that came naturally at first to me, nor was being present. It's great to see you Loving my neighbors has taught me how to love God better. It's drawn me into deeper relationship with Him. You don't need permission or a program to go outside and be who Christ has called you to be. When we open up our front door and we take three steps right out our front yard, good things happen. Open up your door and let God do the rest. I love that. I love that because it's so practical. And she doesn't come up with some big program about reaching everybody. She says, I'm going to care about the neighbors that God has put right around me. And so I want to move right now to kind of the so what about all this stuff. Let's get very practical. And this, I believe, can actually be some really fun, meaningful stuff in your life. And honestly, If you want to see revival in our city, this is the kind of stuff that it can begin with um, as well. So in your notes, there's a little chart that looks like this. And so I want you to grab that. I want everybody to to take that out. And the question is, who is my neighbor? Um, And so the first so what is this. We need to get to know our actual neighbors. So I'm not an expert on love. I'm not a poet. I am not a songwriter. But I know this. It is easier to love someone when you know their name. So here's my challenge or my question to each of you. In that, there are eight little blocks. I want you to take a pen right now. This is not hypothetical. This is not do it later. I want you to take a pen and I want you to begin to write in the names of the eight neighbors that live closest around you. Now, I know some of you, this, you know, you either live in an apartment or a dorm or a, you live way out in the country. I don't know what it is, but I want you to, to, to do the best you can to literally fill out the actual names of actual people that you actually know that live nearby you. All right. So here's what you cannot do. You cannot put dude in the blue truck. All right. <laughs> You cannot put the lady with the yapping dog. I want a a real name. Go ahead. Take some time. I'd love for you to do that. See how many you can get. You can work together if you're here with someone from your family. It's almost like a contest now. I like it. You know, as you're working there, it's kind of interesting because in the the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus has this conversation about loving your neighbor as yourself, um, there's a man there who it says, the man tries to justify himself by asking, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells the famous story of the, the Good Samaritan. And the idea behind the Good Samaritan is everybody is my neighbor. But a lot of times we take this idea that because everybody is my neighbor, it doesn't mean I have to know my actual people. So I'm talking about putting God's greatest commandments into its most simple ways. All right, I'm not sure if I gave you enough time, but how many of you can do eight? Anybody here can do eight? Nice. Wow, that is impressive. Great job. How many can do six? How many can do four? 
All right, so here's the deal. Uh, that's a good job. That's not bad for, uh, for a lot of us. Um, so here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, maybe you are the super competitive type, and um, if you are, I double dog dare you to get this thing figured out. In fact, I'm going to give you a little heads up. We are going to come back to this as a church before the beginning of summer. And so you've got a few months to work on this. But I want you to actually get to know, meet, know the names of, begin to pray for your neighbors. Because here's the way it's going to go. You're going to, you know, it's going to be awkward at first. Because the the dude in the blue truck that you forgot his name, There's going to be a day that you're going to have to swallow your pride and you're going to have to walk across the street and you're going to say, hey, bro, you know, I've lived here a couple years. I'm so sorry I forgot your name. And you know what he's going to say? Hey, no problem. I forgot yours too. And he's going to say, yeah, my name's Mike. And so now it's not, hey, bro, it's, hey, Mike. And then it's, hey, Mike, how you doing? The 49ers game sure was terrible last week, wasn't it? I shouldn't have brought that up. Uh, but then it's, then it's like, hey, Mike, can I help you un- unload your truck while you're doing that? Hey, Mike, I, I saw your son move back in. Is everything going okay? Hey, Mike, I heard your, I heard your wife or your kids were, were not doing well. Can, can, I, can I pray for you? Is there something that I could do? And you guys, it's so amazing how meaningful those relationships can be when we just take the time. So in my neighborhood, I think I might have told you about this before, but in my neighborhood, we had a great experience of this during the pandemic um, when everybody was supposed to be staying home. We took this idea of playing front yard bingo. We, we got together as a neighborhood and everybody brought uh, their chairs, some chairs and a, a table out into their driveway. Everybody brought a little food. Everybody brought some prizes to share. And one guy called out bingo numbers and our whole block all played neighborhood bingo. And it was a great time and the kids got prizes and it was a lot of fun. But here's what I want to tell you. More significant than just those nights that we did something together is the long-term relationships with people that we now know and and care about and have the opportunity to be involved in their life. I also want to just give you one very simple, practical way that you could put this into practice. I don't know if you came in the front doors this morning um, and you at least were somewhat conscious, you noticed that there's a giant bounce house out there and next to it there's a barbecue and there's a cornhole game, there's a sound system, there is a little projection screen with a projector and a couple years ago, actually right before the pandemic started, together with 180 as a church, we bought all that stuff to help us love our neighbors. That is the Love Your Neighbor party trailer. And everything that you see out there is available for you as a member of this church or a person in this church to borrow and use free of charge. The only catch is this. You have to use it to bless and love your neighbor. But if you're having your kid's birthday party and you're going to invite some of the neighbors. Absolutely, it's yours to borrow. It's, it's ours. It's ours together. The only catch is that you would use it to love your neighbor. And so you could do that. And uh, the, you actually uh, make arrangements through the office at 180. The phone number's out there. You can use it. Call, see if it's available. Learn a little bit how to do it. It's super simple. It's a great opportunity. And you can bless your neighbor. And that is, we believe so much 
in this idea of getting out, not just hunkering down, not just cocooning, but being with real people that we said this is available for you to borrow. If, can you use it for your kid's soccer party? Yes, you can. As I said, can you use it for their, 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 your kid's birthday party? Are you going to have some friends there that don't know Christ? Are you going to have some neighbors there? Absolutely, you can borrow it. Be a blessing to your neighbors. But the second thing that I wanted to share is become more available to your neighbors. Don't just park the car and rush inside. Don't just go in and close the garage door and cocoon so that you never interact with them. Make yourself available. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes compassion. It takes grace because I don't know if you've noticed, not every neighbor is easy to love just like we are not always easy to love. So we show grace and we show compassion, but we take the time and we become available. Well, hey, I wanna wrap up this morning because maybe you're here and you're still not convinced. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I wanna obey Jesus's command. We should do this first and foremost because Jesus commands us to do it. But if you're like, hey, I'm not convinced about this. I'm not sure how effective this stuff is to love your neighbor. Let me just kind of answer that question. Um, Why is it so significant that I invest in loving my actual neighbors, you guys, you, the place that you live, you are made for this. You are the person that God has put there. If you doubt that, let me just share a scripture with you from Acts 17. This is the apostle Paul, and he gives kind of just like a one sentence world history lesson, and this is what he says in Acts 17. He says, God began by making one person. And from him came all the different people who live everywhere in the world. And now get this. God decided exactly when and where they must live. You thought you live where you do because you got a good deal on the rent. Or because it had the big yard and the master bedroom that you love. Those things may be true. But can I tell you why you live where you live? Because God put you there to be his person in that block, in that home, right? For you were designed for this. You are made by God and for God. And it is not an accident that he has placed you right next door to the neighbors that he has so that he could be glorified. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your ancient teaching that is so full of truth. Thank you that Jesus, you just pulled these things out of your Old Testament scriptures and reminded us to love God and to love our neighbors first and foremost. I pray that this church would be known in just an extravagant way of people of hospitality and graciousness and love and compassion for our city, for our neighbors, Lord. We pray that you would bubble that up out of us in just powerful ways. Help us even this week to walk walk across the street to take that step so that we could see, Lord, your kingdom come in powerful ways. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.